Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. I am a Denver-based author and editor, and I have been having the time of my life here. This has been a great con. You guys have been very supportive of the panels, of the booth, and everything like that, and uh, it has been a joy to be here. Um, And part of that joy is getting to hang with one of my favorite friends (laughs) and peers, the amazing Tamsin Silver, uh, please uh, tell us something about yourself uh, to the two people now. To the two uh, people. He left. Uh, <laughs> uh, that Maybe he, the baby wanted to stay. Did you ever think about that? No, you're just thinking about yourself. All right. Uh, but she, she could tell you a little bit about her. Um, my name is Tamsin Silver, and I am an author based out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Do you still live there? Or uh, just, just, on just, uh, just like five, ten minutes. Yeah, out. you're just five, ten minutes. Out. Yeah. So I, um, I am. I actually work in healthcare, uh, and I, I am. And that's what I do during the day. Uh, but I'm also an author uh, when I have the the withdrawal to sit down and write. Um, your dog lets you. And my dog lets me. That's really a lot. I, I've decided that my next dog needs to be, a, when I'm like, so does this dog have a lot of energy? No, perfect. <laughs> couch bud. Is it just lay on the couch? That is the exact dog I require. Because <laughs> um, I have an Aussie. Oh. And he is really high energy. Anyway, um, I write historical fantasy and urban fantasy. Um, I also um, have a web series out that I did that is... Uh, classified as horror because there is no urban fantasy classification for TV. Um, It's called Sky of the Damned, and that is Fallen Angels and Vampires in New York. Um, I have been writing and been published since 2011, and um, I'm really happy. This is the first time I've done this convention, so it's been really great. And uh, I'm secretly hoping that the people who've been going past the booths for the past two days, (laughs) who've been going, okay, that and that, they show up and, and spend. So, <laughs> oh, I want to get you. You already, yeah. So that is me. All right. So this panel is on researching the old west. Um, since both of us, um, you know, my newest novel is uh, the Drowned Horse Chronicle, which is set in Arizona, um, time period about 
Um, and so when I wrote my first weird Western story, which again was for David Lee Summers, um, oh, actually, no, that was the third one. I didn't have to, <laughs> I didn't have to, I didn't have to research that first one. Um, but the, the, the third story involved, um, a vampire helping some kids rob a bank. And in the end scene, I had put generic Native Americans in, in the scene because they ultimately are part of the solution to the problem. And um, later on, as I'm writing these stories, I realize, well, that's unfair. You know, this isn't 50s television, right? <laughs> You can't just sit there and go, oh, they're generic Native Americans. So who are the Native Americans in Northern Arizona? Um, and I had lived there and, uh, and I knew the name Yavapai because Yavapai County and stuff like that. But that wasn't enough. So I really started diving into researching the tribes and the languages and the history so much more than I had. Um, for any other short stories I was writing. And I, I just became engrossed and fascinated with the history um, and many times appalled and repelled and, and disgusted by the history as well. So when did you, like, did you start off, because you started off urban fantasy, yes. right? And you don't necessarily have to do a lot of research with urban fantasy, other than maybe some legends. And, and you said it in New York where you were living at the time, so you knew the area. So I knew the area. There was To write urban fantasy in New York does not take no. uh, anything other than my imagination and time. Yeah. Um, but when you decided that you were going to delve into this weird Western thing, did you start off knowing right away you were going to have to do the amount of research that you do for your books or um, or did you just like sit down and write and then do the research afterwards? So I wrote a short story. I did research. I did a short story. I didn't need a lot of information for the short, but, but I did the research for that and then I pitched it to sell it and they loved it for this anthology, but they felt it was a novel. And they really didn't want to take away the rights on it for me if I wanted to finish doing more. And I was like, you, I said, you're right, I want to do more on this. So I, we didn't put it in anthology. Uh, it's the only turn down from an anthology I've ever been like, well, that was an awesome answer. Yeah. Um, and um, at that point, I was like, well, if you're going to write it, you can't not go there. Like, I was so invested at this point with the research I'd already started that I had to see where Richard Brewer was buried. I had to find, I had to walk the streets that Billy and Brewer had been on. And so um, I, yep, so I researched and got in contact with the Historical Society and set up and, and made reservations at the place to stay. And I, I, and I flew out and I spent four days, four or five days in New Mexico. And it wasn't enough. I had to come back and I brought a friend and we spent two weeks and um, and that was you know at that point I'm screwed because now I've been trapped by New Mexico and I want to live there and um, it happens it's so beautiful there uh, and so but I don't think I knew how much reading was going to be involved um, and I'm glad my eyes hadn't gotten worse at that point in time Bless you. and I and I jokingly blame the research for ruining my eyeballs and making it harder to read um, 
but uh, I don't think I knew the level of which I was going to need to do. Um, I think, and, but I, I basically I did a lot of research and I wrote, and then as I got, I wrote the first two, and I, the plan was it would be one big book, but when I sold it, they wanted three. And to divide it, it made no sense to divide those. He goes, I want you to divide this in two, and I want you to write a third. Right. And I'm like, fuck. And they paid you money, too? <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So then all of a sudden I found I was having to research something else, because Cricket Cooler, I hadn't done as much. Right. So I found more books. So I don't think... I don't think anyone goes into it knowing how much they're going to do, mm -hmm. um, but for me it was a mixture of research, right, research, right, research, 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 right. <laughs> so um, um, that's the same pattern to get the uh, the Hadoken in uh, Street Fighter. Right writers. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, with me again, um, I started writing these drowned horse stories, and I kept getting more requests for them. And I knew that it was going to be a town that was cursed. Didn't really know what the curse was going to be like at first. Um, but And I didn't even know who had cursed the town at the time. But um, I knew I was going to have to do two sets of research. One on various mythological monsters and demons and things of that nature that weren't common. I mean, I mentioned a vampire, um, but... Yeah, that was early on. But later on, I'm like, I can't just do vampires. I can't just do, you know, werewolves and things of that nature, right? In fact, I only just wrote my first werewolf story for it, for, you know, when I started building the, the novel. And so I'm doing these two unconnected pieces of research with um, monsters and the Old West. But then as I'm doing this research, I'm like, you know, there's potentially a lot of crossover here because what are the monsters that people thought might be around the corner as they were moving across the plains into the West? And um, that's when I started developing the idea that people bring their own monsters with them the way they bring their own mythologies, their own culture and so forth and I'm like so I can't just have a whole bunch of western creatures I needed to also research you know if I have a character who's from Germany what are the German mythological creatures that are less commonly known right what are the Irish what are the um, what are the Asian what are the you know and so forth right and so I started building this this library of monsters I wanted to use <laughs> that were, were um, not commonly known. And then I started tying... So, Drowned Forest is a town where your inner demons manifest as external monsters. And so I, I would have these monsters and I'd go, oh, that's a good way to a monster to bring out for a cheating husband. This is a good way, a monster to bring out for somebody who's greedy. This is a good monster, you know, the seven deadly sins become actually very deadly. Um, so, um, so yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun to do the research. And, of course, I'm still doing the research all the time. Um, so, Tamsin, who is, has crashed at my house before in my guest room, can attest 
to the amount of Western books that I oh, yeah. have. I have shelves of different books. So insulation. Yeah. <laughs> I have two kind of shelves of things and it's a mixture of there's all this Billy stuff. It's like it's mine like all and, and Billy stuff's like there's a couple that are bigger, but on average they're about like this. Yeah. Uh, but then of course Billy then bleeds into how much of Ripper I now have. <laughs> right. Of uh, the Thames Torso murderer of 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 course cricket of of Jack of of the Midnight Assassin, like it's now starting to, and I'm just like, oh, we're gonna need another shelf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I've I've run out of shelves, as it were. So, um, when you when and and the point I was bringing up about the books is, you know, we live in an era that's predominantly digital, but at the same time, old books are still really important because not all those books have been made into ebooks. Oh, no. um, um, Wikipedias and other wikis and even some of the most detailed websites are still not as detailed as having an actual book. So how much do you do like digital research and how much do you seek out actual physical material to um, to do your research. Oh, 90-10. Which which direction? Ninety percent books. Ninety percent books. Wow, that's expensive. Yeah, we won't talk about my bookshelves anymore. <laughs> they hurt my pocketbook. Um, so what I would say that I researched online. Basically, all that I ever did online, it could be even more ninety-five-five. Um, <laughs> I did research to understand the basics of Billy and John Tunstall to get the idea before I started getting books. I got the basics. Um, I found the information about Cricket Kugler online, um, and I found um, I found the Irish folklore person I wanted to use as my big bad, and that is the extent of online that I did with regard to things I trust for putting in books. So here's the problem. Billy the Kid, people love to just speculate. They, they like to get fanatic to a point of... You know, watch, what is that show? Something Aliens, what is it? Um, <coughs> Ancient Aliens. Ancient Aliens. <laughs> I equate Billy the Kid fans to that. Yes. Because there's just so much stuff that they're like... Well, I think, and it just gets out of hand, and I really wanted to stick to the truth. Right. So the first thing I did was I asked people who lived in Lincoln, who do I read to trust for the real truth, and what do I focus on? And they told me, and that's what I stuck with. Now, do I own the other books? Yes, because I have a problem. But, um, I have to have all of them, and I will buy them, and it's bad. Hi, my name is Tamsin, and I have a problem. And I have a problem buying books. Right, but then once I made the decision I was going to do the all the stuff for Ripper, I looked up a few things, and I was like, yeah. Mm. And then, of course, I just fell back on a habit, and I own, I own a lot of books. And I'm about to go do three different tours in England on it, and You're I'm gonna. gonna I get more books. Huh. I'm going to England in June to start my research. That's a very expensive book, you right? <laughs> I let me let me tell you about how expensive these were to write. I ended up moving to Albuquerque because of all the research I did. I moved to New Mexico. I was living in New York City, not happily, but living. And um, when I saved money. 
right? When I took, uh, in, in, in some ways, actually, probably true, except for, and now I'm saving even more because I own my own house. In theory, it saves money uh, until I decide all the things I'm going to improve. Um, or so, until you come back from London and go, guess what? I'm moving to London. <laughs> oh, I had a dream about that the other night, and I was like, oh, Don't no, 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 no. I love having you in your <laughs> I'm like, it there. won't make any sense if you're there. Um, but it doesn't mean that in like my later years, like 10, 20, like 20 years from now, I might not be like, mm-hmm. so, but yeah, no, I, I would say research wise, if man, I, I, I'm going to actually amend 95.5. Okay. Now, are you trying to find first source? Are you trying to go to papers and uh, uh, direct uh, first person witness recounts? Um, I'm, I'm basically finding any of the books that have the most accreditation, people who say they are. I'm also going planning when I'm there, when I, there's a guy whose tour I'm taking, um, who has been doing this for 20, 30 years, I don't know, and, he's, and him and his group have books out. So I plan to talk to him and be like, you know, which ones, this is what I'm doing, this, let me see your different books, and then I'm going to get, and then ship them home. Because America had a Jack the Ripper Holmes Hotel guy. Yeah, the white, white, white castle guy. Save you some mileage. Don't know as much about this. I will be, actually. <laughs> so, yes. I'm so a No, I'm, I'm, I'm like, so here's something interesting. When you're researching and you're wanting to do something that is creative and different, um, it only takes, it can take a single line of text that you read to spark an idea. And the idea I saw was that it, there was a line in a paper in London that said, the Midnight Assassin from Texas has come to London. And I found the Midnight Assassin book. There's only one. I can only research so much. Um, I am going to go to Texas, though, for it. God, I, I, it hurts just to say it. Um, but, where, where in Texas? Um, I have to go down to, um, I believe it's, I have to hit Austin and Houston. Okay, I have friends in Austin. Okay, I think right. I've But yeah, so I'm going to tie them all in because, of course, they've saw, talked about Ripper and Holmes. So I'm going to do that. Yeah. So what she's talking about is what we call the research rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this happens a lot. Um, yes. I was researching a book, or I was researching for a book um, on how to make a sentient robot in 1955. Um, and along the nice. way, as I was researching, of course, you research t- uh, Turing, Alan Turing, as you do. Yes. And so forth. And, uh, and I hit upon something that was a throwaway line in one of the books about robot rights. And before I knew it, I was writing in a wholly, completely different, near future short story about robot rights. And I'm like, okay, why am I doing... I'm supposed to be writing a book. It's due. <laughs> the book never actually got finished. But, uh, uh, but the story got published. So, so uh, there you go. Yeah, so there's that. But, um, but in that regard, um, sometimes the research gets more fascinating than what you're actually writing at the time. What is the biggest re- uh, research rabbit hole you went down? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a good story. I think I'll just blush. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Okay. My name's John. I have a problem also. Right? Um, so, 
in the beginning of in the five-day battle that everybody if you know Lincoln County if you know anything about the war there was a five-day battle and everything you read we'll just say the good guys and the bad guys the bad guys have the Torian which is a Torian is a, an adobe circular building with a ground floor a top floor and a roof and it has holes in it for shooting and has a stone barrier around it uh, it's for protection during the Apache attacks, is what it was built for. But in all of the stories I've read, all of the research, it talked about how the bad guys basically had control of it. And I kept thinking, well, that seems so weird, considering the good guys came in in the middle of the night, they would have taken it. It's a primo spot for a fight. So when I read the book that George co-wrote, they did. They spent, they sent five men from Mexico in the team took the Torian. And yet, there's no mention of what happens to those people and how the heck the bad guys end up in control of the Torian. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, this is not acceptable. Where am I missing Mexicans? <laughs> and so I went down the rabbit I'm talking, digging, 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 reached out and talked to, I reached out and talked to historians. I'm like, where are they? What happened to them? Why can't I find this? And I spent a month wow. hunting and digging and not writing, really, because I was stuck. And finally, I reached a point, and I was like, there is nothing on them. And I was like, and this little voice went, psst, yo, you also write fiction. <laughs> and I was like, you can't invent what happens to them. And so, um, there's, so basically, there's something that nods to I don't, I don't talk about it a bunch. I just There's a nod in the book about it, because there's not much to write. Right. So I don't want to go into big detail, and I've got enough to do in the five-day battle to talk about. So, so yeah. What, uh, the point I knew I was going to be a fiction writer was I had to write an essay in uh, my second attempt at college, and um, um, we were given a list of historical figures. This was a broad, no, this was a, was a broadcasting school. Yeah, I think it was broadcasting school. And we, they were given a list of hi historical figures within the broadcasting industry. And, and I, I just randomly picked a name. And I went to the library in Wausau, Wisconsin, which is not a great library. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't at the time. Um, you know, Packer history, you can probably find a lot of books. But not a lot about some practically unknown radio pioneer. And all I could find in all of my research was a single paragraph in a um, some sort of an encyclopedia of inventors or whatever. And I had a three-page paper to turn in. Oh my God. I invented this guy's entire history about how he had this relationship with his father that was strained because his father wanted him to go into the family business. And he and I'll tell you, that was the greatest load of bullshit that I ever got an A on. Are you life. kidding you? They, no, they gave I, you an A? They yeah. gave me an A because... Find me a paper to discredit it. <laughs> because it made, all of it sounded logical. It sounded like I had done the research on this guy. It sounded <laughs> It sounded completely logical. Oh my god. 
And I guess there's no way that the, the teacher could have fact-checked it if there was nothing to yeah. find. I don't even know why this person's name was on the list. Honestly, if this if the teacher knew anything about them, they probably thought that I did better research than they did. And it's like, where did you find all this information? Oh, um, I have a uncle who worked with him back in the 40s or something like that. But I didn't get called on it. I just got back the paper. It was an A. I'm like, of course, it's broadcasting school. So honestly, the bar for an A, not particularly high. I went to Trans-American School of Broadcasting, where you two can learn from the professionals who've been fired from the field of radio and television. So, <laughs> but your so, ITT was the same. I went to ITT. Oh, uh, I went to TTI after that. So, um, but anyway, okay. So, um, you had spurned a, spawned a question, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, research rabbit holes. Um, How do I get them? No, no, no. Um, Just turn so we, we, we kind of hit upon the idea of how much truth do you need in your stories versus how much can you... Because when we look at, when we do stuff like Weird Western, we're technically looking at two things. that, And I kind of talked about the other night. Alternate history versus secret history. So is your Billy story... Is it an alternate history, or is it this could have all happened and we just don't know about it history? A secret history. So it's a secret history. So as far as the world is concerned, everything in your book could actually be nonfiction, and there's nothing to dispute that. Okay. So, um, so how much then, if you're doing secret history, how much truth do you need in your stories versus the fiction that you need to tell your story? You need all the. You need to take the real history and put it in there. You just need to support it with your fantasy. Okay. So, for instance, I took. I don't do outlines. I, I my, my, my I'm a pantser. My ADHD just has a problem with it. It's fine. Um, we've come to terms. We're okay with it. But what I did is I created two calendars from that time, and I took the. It's great. Frederick Nolan does a solid. In the back of one of his books, there's a full timeline of all the places Billy was and all the main oh, things nice. that happened. And so I put them on the calendar and then travel time and kind of figured everything out. And then I took my other calendar and I was like, and I marked those days out. And I said, and I, and I was like, these days are four big events that we know about. So it gave gaps. It showed areas that I could put my stuff and justify so that someone's not like, yo, we all know Billy was in blah, 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 dealing with this on this day. And I'm like, yes, and it's in there. So, um, so because we wrote, the whole series is written from his point of view, I couldn't, I couldn't deviate and go somewhere. He wasn't. Um, I did have a couple things that had to happen that the reader needed to know. But Billy wasn't there for it. He was a down the street. So I created a way for that to happen with fantasy. Right. So um, he ends up trying to save this raven whose eye has been damaged. He doesn't know it is a skinwalker. And the sun is rising and the skinwalker is about to change, but Billy doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And he's in the middle of trying to heal his eye with his gifts. And the morning and the sun comes up and they end up wrapped in that change. And their eyes end up in a connection, mind, because the way your eye is connected in. And so... 
if if they want to, they both can see from each other's points of view and hear from everything's connected. And so I created that so that specifically during the five-day battle, the scene where Susan McSween goes down and talks to Dudley could be something the reader got to experience because you need to, because he is the true villain of the five-day battle. So um, I wanted to be able to make sure I showed that. And so knowing that ahead of time, that there were scenes like that where I needed Billy to, either I needed to give a reason to get to get out of there. So yeah, so you find ways to slide that in there. But most of the time for me, it's I, I try to keep as much, especially because Billy fans are so rabid <laughs> about facts. They, they, they just, they are, and so you don't, so I, is every single tiny thing that we know in there? No all the major things that people talk about when they do tours about Billy and stuff, I made sure that well, they you contradict what they yeah. Well, and also it's fan service. Right. It's fan service. Like, I've had people who I know from the Billy community who read these, and they're like, oh my God, everything I wanted to experience from Billy is here. Yeah. And I had someone else go, this is the Billy, this is how I pictured him. Right. And so that is, and that's what matters, right? It's fan service. You yeah, we also call them Easter eggs and stuff like that. Yeah, I throw, oh, regulator ride, that's, <laughs> that's thrown in there from the movie, like, you know. So it's funny, I had to do the same thing for a, for a story I wrote. I had to write um, for this anthology called um, um, Turning the Tide, um, a story that had Alan Quartermain, a fictional character, uh, from King Solomon's Minds, meet Kit Carson, who was, who was, of course, a real person. And so I had to establish the timelines for both of the characters, all of the known places they were, both in Alan Quartermain's fictional life and Kit Carson's real life, to find a hole yep. where I could get Kit Carson from America over to Africa. And, uh, and eventually I have to do it the reverse because I got to get, uh, I want to write a sequel to it where I get Alan Quartermain over into America, something that was never written about um, in any of the books. So, nice. um, and so, yeah, finding those little holes in history are really important. Um, I so. have to do the same thing, but I have to do it between Billy and Doc Holliday. Okay, yeah. So, Good. yeah. Well, except that one, neither of them are fictional. They're both real. Right, but that's what I mean. I have yeah. to find the hole when he was Oh, there. fine, yeah. And I do have, I, I'm pretty sure I know the spot where it happens, so I, I know where I can put it, but god dang, it's going to be tight. Yeah. It's a lot of research. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, oh, there's a... He had a Las, he had a Vegas, I believe it was Vegas, um, not Las Vegas. Uh, um, Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, not I mean, that, uh, New Mexico. Mexico. Vegas, I do believe Doc Holliday really had good. a bar there at one point. And Billy had a table there at one point, so I gotta yeah. see if I can they make that happen. Yep. Yeah. Boy, is Las Vegas, New Vegas, kind of a weird place. It's a weird place. It's a really weird place. What's that? Are you gonna cover non-white uh, characters researching that? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I talked a little bit about the just having generic Indians um, in my first story, um, and so that rabbit hole. Um, was deep and wide, and it becomes really challenging at times. Me. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, so um, in northern Arizona, 
um, generically, we talk about the Yavapai. But the Yavapai were more than just one tribe. They're actually like a dozen tribes. And so you have the Yavapai, the Yavapai, the Halasupai, um, and, and so forth, right? And like the Prescott Yavapai are different than the Verde Valley Yavapai, and the Grand Canyon Yavapai are different than either of them. How did you uh, learn that? Uh, research. Um, I had you to... Can't visit. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I lived there for a while. Oh, really? Yeah, my, my, I, I only made my last trip up there two years ago. Um, but they have history museums. Prescott has a very impressive history museum, including uh, um, some of the old uh, forts and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, I went to museums, I got books, um, I talked with historians. Um, and, oh, and also I uh, wrote the, the, they have a, a Yavapai organization. And I'll tell you, that was one of the first things I did is I uh, went online and I saw that there was a, you know, Yavapai tribe association. Let's just call it that. I forget what the actual term was. And I wrote them and they sent me a manila envelope this thick of information um, back, which has been the cornerstone of me building you know, these, this information. But again, you know, it's like, depending on where you are at what time, you could be dealing with any number of a dozen different tribes. Add to it, you have the Apache who get pushed over from New Mexico into Arizona, and they come up against the Yavapai. Um, and then just to the north of where the Apaches were, you have uh, the Navajo, you also have north and west, the Hopi, and stuff like that. And then down south here, you've got different tribes um, and so forth. So um, when it comes to the, the Native Americans, you have to know exactly where you are, and that could be sometimes a specific month, um, because you would have campaigns and they would wipe out an entire tribe. And so a, a month earlier, everybody would, was just fine. And a month later, nobody's there. It's just dead bodies everywhere. So yeah, that's, that's and especially when Cook gets here. When Cook gets here, his campaign was brutal. The guy built a road um, through Arizona just so it was gonna be easier for him to kill Indians. He literally had them uh, build a road, and it's called Cook's Trail now. I mean, we, we act, it's still on the maps. And he had, he set the army to work, or, um, the cavalry to work at that point, cavalry, building this road right through Arizona so that they could get to any encampment they needed to at any, any point. Um, and so one of the problems, of course, is we have this thing called retrofuturism, where we look at the past um, from the eyes of the future, right? And what's really hard about that is if you're writing characters set in this time period, they had a certain view of Native Americans, Mexicans, um, Irish, 
you know, Asians, all this stuff like that, right? And if you write them accurately, your readers get really pissed at you, right? Because it's like, well, you're racist. No, I'm not racist. He said, this is a character like 200 years ago, right? Um, they were racist, and I, I can't, like, how do I? So what you have to do, or at least what I did in Drowned Horse, is my sheriff, I made him Romani. And gypsy, basically. And he comes from a culture where they understand being driven out of different areas. And so while his job is to protect the settlers, he is not unsympathetic to what is happening to the Native Americans, right? So that gave me an advantage from my point of view character, at least one of my, there's several point of view characters, but from one of my point of view characters to say, this guy has a reason why he's sympathetic. Any other person living at that time would be like, no, kill all the soulless bastards, right? And there are, there are people like that in there, but um, they're usually a bad guy or somebody who needs to learn a lesson. So what about you and natives? So I'm trying to find it in here and I'm like, where the hell is that? I'll find it after I talk, but I'm sure. Um, so I knew that I needed, I mean, there's some characters I create, fantasy people, um, instead of just using uh, regular people in history for this. And so um, people that I created, and one of them is a uh, skinwalking raven. And he, uh, Gox, is actually... Gawk, his name's Gawk. Spelled G-A-A-X. It is a tribal name. Oh, okay. And I so like it. I like it. I chose it. It's, uh, it said Gawk. It's, it's, uh, it's at collateral. Um, and he is, he looks all of like 12. Right. He is 60-something years old. And he was around for all kinds of the bad ways we treated the Native Americans. Um, and so he... Um, he, I researched because I wanted him from specifically from a tribe that had the raven as their totem. And so uh, that turned out to be a tribe in Alaska. Um, and I pulled from that and he talks about how he ended up in New Mexico, how he was flying, how he got injured in a storm and landed and changed. And um, it's when they were marching all of the people to Fort Sumner. Right and how he gets involved in how a woman saw him and just scooped him up and pulled him into the ride because he's Native American, she just took him in. And so I talk about that. Um, um, as far as Zahara, my witch, she is of the people as well, and she's a different tribe, but she is, I did research and found that they had dog soldiers in her, and she, so she tells a story about how she and her sister, her father never had any sons. And so he chose to train them in the way of the dog soldier, even though he wasn't supposed to. And this is why she is such a good fighter and why right. she, you know. And so um, it is, so I did a lot of research regarding that aspect of it so that I would get it right. And then, of course, when I had it edited, I was like, if anything feels insensitive, please let me know. Right. Um, but I made sure that if we talk about, because there was a lot of Apache trouble back then. In fact, Richard Brewer is buried on Apache land. Wow. 
So when I did a cleansing ritual, so when I first visited his grave, mm -hmm. the atmosphere was not awesome. Right. <laughs> he is buried in, he's in a different coffin, but he's buried in the same hole with the man who killed him. Oh, and the, and when I went there, I just felt it, and it was not okay. So I worked, and I, I researched Apache uh, blessings and Apache stuff like that, and I found one, and I modified the words to fit, but I kept the basis of it. And um, and I brought and I brought actual sage to burn, and but the, it would it was interesting. Every time I would go to light it, it would go out. And it was windy, but it wasn't that windy. Right. And I was like, and all of a sudden that's when it dawned on me. I said, it's not the air that needs it. It's the ground. And so I broke it up and spread it across the whole area. Right. And did the prayer and then did my personal one. And it's never felt horrible there again. Right. But, um, but I did a lot of research for all of doing that. Um, but I, you know, I, didn't, I have an Apache English dictionary as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, huge. Readers. It's a huge book. Yeah, no, I did the same thing with the uh, human, and, yeah. uh, and 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 I had to print mine out. It was like five hundred pages, um, but it was what's really sad about it. It was it was written back in the eighteen hundreds, and we've oh, now wow. modernized a lot of those words. Mm -hmm. um, so you look at an Apache, or, sorry, Yavapai. To English translation now, of which I've been able to find some, um, but it's it's a lot different than what they had written in this 500 word thing. Um, what's also interesting is not just the Native Americans, but it's the other races too. So you know, of course, you have um, Asians starting to come in um, to work the railroads or you know work um, shops uh, in on the West Coast. Um, you also, what's really interesting is, is we have a record of exactly when the first black person came to Arizona. As far as there's a record of that person, whether or not some other ones came beforehand, um, we don't have records of that. But we have a record of the first known black person, which was a, a woman who was the housekeeper for somebody else or somebody who had decided to settle in Arizona. And as far as that goes, this woman is is the first known black person. So I know what year supposedly African Americans came to Arizona, which means that I really can't do a lot of diversity outside of Hispanic and Native American until after that year, right? And I do bring one historical African-American person um, in who was basically, I found a hole in his history where he could have been running cattle to Arizona. And I needed him, uh, Boza Eckhart, uh, uh, and I needed him here. And so I had him running some cattle to sale to market in, in Arizona, and he gets caught up in this whole thing. Um, it's probably one of my favorite endings of any of my stories. So, um, so yeah, um, do, do you have to deal a lot with other races other than, um, say, Hispanic or Native American? Uh, not much, but I did find the tribe that I, it's Tshimshen, is the, is the, 
and because I actually so what happens I I always find a way that my character will do a pronunciation for the reader um, and I do this often because how many times did I not know how Hermione was actually pronounced right um, so it's here he says the name and uh, and he laughs he says, it's pronounced to um, and that's his tribe. Um, and he said they reside in what's now British Columbia. It wasn't Alaska. Okay. We that he basically they, that tribe in particular was killed off by smallpox because uh, intentional blankets given yada yada bad yeah. bad things white people do, which yeah. is a lot of history. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but as far as I do have um, African American soldiers, they were called Buffalo Soldiers. Right. Um, they were stationed at, at Fort Stanton, which is just down the road from uh, Lincoln. And so there is a point where they have sent one of them to, during the five-day battle. And of course, Dolan and his elk know how to, set, to make sure that the military gets involved. They made sure they positioned themselves in a way where they shot at him, but made it look like it was Billy's group that did it. And when the shot rang out and his people almost, Billy's people, he's like, do not, he's like, do not fire. <laughs> And he says, and one of them says, uh, horrible, he calls it, it's a bad, I believe he uses the N-word, or he uses one of the words uh, at the time, and Billy decks him. Um, so it's... Yeah, it's, it's really hard, it's, especially with slang, because yeah. they're, you know, I yeah, don't know if you know Do you know what the slang for the Hispanic people was at the time? Um, I've known a couple of them. Which greaser. One? Greaser? They called them a greaser, right. which is... Interesting, because the greasers were the popular kids in the fifties, right? Um, yeah, so, yeah. right? So, um, but yeah, one of them refers. I used that at one point, but yeah, he also says something about Buffalo Soldier, because Billy was very much, um, he very much was in tune with the Hispanic people and their culture. Yeah. And if, if as a, a very white Irish boy, he was friends with this group, he wouldn't have isolated any, you know. Well, and the Irish white man was also considered a minority. Uh, back then as well. Not um, Lincoln, man. There was a fucking ton of them for yeah. no goddamn good reason other than military. Yeah. I uh, I ended up reaching out to a Hispanic author, a uh, friend of mine, who also writes weird westerns, to ask him um, what uh, uh, what would be a slang, a slur, that um, a Hispanic person would use against a Native American. You can't just Google that, right? Oh. But, you know, um, but, you know, I, it's like, uh, it's like, what would the Hispanics, if they were insulting a Native American, what would they use? Um, and, and so I had to, um, let's find out where. Yeah, because that would be, yeah, because you'd have to, that's a little bit of research that people are like, so hey, what's your racist speech look like? <laughs> yeah. Share. Yeah. Exactly. Why do you want to know? Because it needs to be accurate. Do you make use of cultural readers, sensitivity readers? Yeah. Um, I did for my LGBTQ short that I had. Um, I didn't so much for this. I just told my editors, please be aware and do that for me and send it to someone if you feel you are not qualified. Mm -hmm. And so there are sections that they would send, they sent to some people to be read and there was no problems. Yeah. But I purposely write, yeah, but I purposely write these things in a way, I'm very conscious of it, um, that I am not, that if it comes up, we deal with it, which is going to get to be really dicey in the next book, because they're going to be in Texas in 85, oh, wow. and it's about a bun, a, someone who's killing a bunch of servant girls, 
and they just the book that I'm reading about it is, is so horribly racist information. The things they say, I, at one point I went, yeah! like I threw the book across the room. So, so Mario So said, I'm going to have to have Billy deal with that. It should be a good time. Mario said, Indio Sushio, uh, Dirty Indian. What's the word? In, indio Sukio or Sukio, um, a Dirty Indian. So, yeah. So, um, that was that was the best he could come up with, too. 85 was a good year. They invented toilet paper. <laughs> well, that's good to know. I'll make sure to make a comment on that. They do ask Billy and Brew at one point, what do you think the best invention since that they both in unison go indoor plumbing? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got about five minutes left. Um, what uh, What questions you guys have? Yes, go ahead. I just recently learned that 1870 was when the tumbleweed was introduced into America. So, that's interesting. That screws up everything. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know there was a, I didn't know it was an invasive species. So, yeah. there was a time when there were no tumbleweeds on the, on the plains. There's, it, you're, there's one more. So, the all the trees, if you go into Lincoln, you'll notice all these, all of these, you know, trees that line the, the, the low bush, uh, and they, those didn't exist yet. And they, the ones that did, they actually weren't there. They were cutting them down as they grew, and they used them for firewood. Right. So now when you go, they're like, oh, it must have been so green and beautiful. No. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Um, no, they used to cut all those down and use them and burn them and use them, so there wasn't anything. But um, what's the tree? It's the juniper. Is it juniper? Juniper. So the juniper is allergic. Yeah, the junipers are not, they are actually not native to New Mexico. No. And, uh, but, um, but the juniper has saved us from all the erosion that would have happened if you think about it. What we'd all look like there if those had not rooted and protected, the topographical look of New Mexico would have changed drastically due to our wind if the junipers had not ended up here. Pines are wimps. They fall over uh, with all kinds of diseases. So one of, one of the things I learned upon moving to Arizona back in the 90s is I didn't know that there was a cutoff for uh, cactus. Like there's a parallel, is that a parallel? Latitude. Latitude, latitude. There's a line where the classic um, big cactus, the Solaro. Serrano yeah. cactus, Solaro, yeah. cut off. Because if you go north, it stops um, right around uh, Bumblebee. I think it's right around Bumblebee, the Bumblebee exit on 17. And then after that, all you have is the prickly pear Mm -hmm. because they can't exist at a certain altitude. And Arizona actually goes up. And I didn't know that either. You know, we think of Arizona, we all have the classic picture of Arizona. The people outside of living in Arizona have this classic picture of Arizona where it's tumbleweeds as you mentioned and everywhere there's the big Serrano cactuses but it is very regional. I mean you have snowstorms in northern Arizona Flagstaff area, Kingman and if you say snowstorm in Arizona people are like what? And it's like Mexico gets you know. snow. We don't have we have prickly pears. There's one in my yard that's trying to grow. Yeah. Uh, but we don't have them. We don't have any of those. We don't have the sorrel in, 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 anywhere in New Mexico. Because the whole thing is 
higher up than that. Not even down in southern Mexico? No, no. Oh, interesting. No, there, there is something you only see once you go down, even on your drive on, across when I head to Mesa. You don't see the saguaro until you from hit. Teddy, you go from until you all of a sudden you, you're just <laughs> almost to Mesa, and then all of a sudden you it's come down. Uh, yeah, you're up in the you're up in the mountains. All of a sudden you come down, and as you come down, there they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a whole field of them. Yeah. Okay, we have about a minute left. Did you have a question? Uh, where can we find you guys online? Um, well, um, we have swag. Um, <laughs> I have <laughs> actually a social media card at my table as well. Um, you know, my publisher's Wolfpack, so, you know, they have that. Amazon, obviously, we're, we're both on Amazon. Um, Bain.com does, um, all of my, uh, uh, books. Um. Falstaff would have mine. Yeah, um, none of, none of these are in audio as of yet. Um, my no- other novel, She Murdered Me with Science, is available in audio, but, um, that's about it. So, and I can be found, of course, over in the booth C two. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I'm on Facebook a lot. Uh, you can find me. I hit Twitter once in a great while. Yeah. Um, but mostly I'm on Facebook, and then my website has a lot of information. You can actually reach out to me through my website as well. Yep. Any other questions? Any fun tidbit from history that you have? That's a quick, tiny little tidbit. Ooh, quick tidbit from history. What was what was a cool Billy, thing? Billy spoke three languages and had the equivalency of a high school diploma in as much school as he did. He also was a singer, a dancer, and he did the school plays. Now you have an entirely different view of Billy the kid. Um, my interesting tidbit was how often forts changed names. That really kind of surprised me because... You have like a Fort Lincoln up in Prescott, but then they also called um, what became uh, Fort Verde, they called it Camp Lincoln for a while, but then dropped that and it became Fort Verde, then Camp Verde, then back to <laughs> Fort Verde. It's like, Make wow. Um, and so it's Space Commander that. wanted to feel more important. And, and yeah, not just. <laughs> Camps and, and forts, but mountains. It took me forever to find what was Black Mountain. There were three different Arizona mountains called Black Mountain, and uh, it took me forever to find the one where this specific battle happened. Oh, man. So, so yeah. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you for coming so early in the day. Um, like yes. I said, we'll be at our tables. Uh, come on by or take some swag, whatever. Yes be trying to sell all my things so please come by please come grab a postcard and a bookmark if you haven't already thank you for listening to the creative play and podcast network if you enjoyed our show please check out D journey of the fifth edition and ragnarok and roll a scion hero to ragnarok story also check out our patreon page for more content and behind the scenes things as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two